EMSradio.com. EMS information for the next generation. The EMS Garage is a production of EMSradio.com. You can find us on Facebook. Just search EMS Garage. You can find us on Twitter at EMS Garage. Email us, emsgarage at gmail.com. Or call us, 303-720-6001. The EMS Well, hello everybody and welcome to the EMS Garage. I'm Chris Monterey, your host, and you've guessed it, Indigo Montoya is here and he's here to kill you. No, he's here to um, kill you because you killed his father and you should prepare to die. No, I'm really teasing. Uh, you know what? This week there's a lot going on and I'm really happy to be here and quite honestly, we've lost kind of an icon in our industry. In fact, I record this on an Apple product as we speak. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what else to say. I, it's, it, it's kind of a mournful loss. I mean, the guy was only 56, seriously, um, 16 years older than me. And when you think about that right there, you just start to think about your own mortality and go, wow, that guy really accomplished a lot in a short amount of time. And, and what kind of mark did he leave on society? So, of course, we're talking about Steve Jobs and and kind of the the mark he left on society, and even the mark he left on EMS and some of the things he he did for us. So we're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to also talk about um, free treatment from EMS or from ambulances protesting and dogs barking, apparently as well. So uh, I'm Chris Monterey. You can find me Geeky Medic on all the websites. Joining me first is Miss Sam Bradley. I think those were your dogs. Hello. Hi guys, I was hoping you wouldn't pick me first. I've got the dog issue, but well, okay, well, go take care of the dogs, and we'll we'll talk about you while you go away. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Also joining me is Mr. Russell Stein. Hello, sir. Hello. Hello. How have you been, brother? Um, great, kind of. Did you not see that I, I put something on Facebook about you this week? Yes, I did. But uh, nobody ever answered. Chief Ludwig did not answer me back. I was kind of disappointed. No. Were you in that shot uh, or no? No, I wasn't. That okay. was uh, I have I had that class about four weeks ago. Oh, okay. Whatever. Yeah, it was it was more about more about stem, more about non STEMI than actual STEMI. So it was kind of nice to the end nice STEMI. Yeah, yeah. Those, those are hard. Those are important too. Yeah, and uh, it was funny because my partner and I that same day actually picked out two of them. From the twelve leads we were going through, so rock on. It had an instant impact, and that's that's was pretty nice to have. Very nice. Also joining me from Iowa, Mister Brad Buck. Hello, sir. Hello there. How are you doing, Chris? I'm good. And uh, you're responsible for one of the topics tonight, so you're gonna you're gonna help <laughs> me with that. I hope. I will. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. And actually, I really I was thinking the. Along the same lines on uh, the other topic for tonight, too. 
Excellent. But, uh, yeah. So... Well, if it's... I think it'll be a good talk. I think it will be, too. And if it's okay with you, I think we're going to start with free treatment from ambulances protested. And in case you missed this this posting, I think it was on GEMS and it was on EMS1, if I don't don't recall, Uh, Chicago Fire Department is hemorrhaging thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, by tying up ambulances, administering free medication to patients with diabetes, asthma, and asthma when they refuse to be taken to the hospital. So this article basically outlines the fact that the, that we as EMS agencies get called to things all the time. Sometimes we treat patients on scene and release them. Well, and according to a unnamed paramedic source, um, paramedics arrive and they administer arbuterol and other things. And this paramedic happens that, or this paramedic complains that, well, sometimes this happens and we don't haul them and maybe we could be making money. I'm about ready to shoot this guy. And it kind of pisses me off that a, they don't name him and it's kind of this unnamed source or whatever. And it's really about the fact that Chicago fire has not put the resources together that really needs to be on the streets to take care of their call volume. So they're trying to come up with ways to really kind of nitpick the fire department to say, well, why aren't you doing this? And why aren't you doing this? And why aren't you doing that? And they're really missing the bottom line that, that the paramedics and and the EMS portion of the service are really driving probably 85% of the business and it's busy. And that's kind of what happens when you have EMS calls. And diabetes is one of our top five calls. 50% of the diabetic calls end up in a refusal, the veteran paramedic said. No business survives on giving you their product for free, and they don't pay for it. Hmm. I just have to say, I'm a little annoyed by the fact that of anybody that under, doesn't understand our business model and doesn't understand that if you don't do what's right for the patient, and perhaps... Um, leaving them on scene is way better than transporting those patients to the hospital. Because even if you transported them to the hospital, it doesn't mean you get paid. And that's what this paramedic doesn't understand. So well, d- discuss. Chris, that's exactly the route that I was thinking of going down. What he apparently has no idea of, nor anyone else that seems to have any input on this article, really, is that if you figure in the cost of, uh, you know, D10, D50, whatever it is, um, they're using and you know those little things so you figure out what that cost would be you know in 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 change and such and then you figure in if they transported to the hospital and we'll just hypothetically say that this is an uninsured patient or it's a medicare patient so you know in the end um it would probably save them money by treating them on scene or it would come close to saving them money Plus the fact, I think that insurance companies and emergency departments for these sorts of instances, this is what they should be. This is what they should be wanting. Uh, are these sorts of things, you know, to to take that backlog and that overflow out of the emergency departments when there's things get can be treated in other locations. But this is also the same city that does not do pre-hospital twelve leads because. And I quote, we get the patient to the hospital fast enough. 
But but why should we haul every stinking uh, diabetic patient that needs a little bit of sugar, or every asthmatic that needs a little bit of albuterol? Um, we well, and, well, and here begs the bigger question: Why aren't we helping them follow up with primary care so that we're not called back in the first place? I mean, if they really wanted to make a dent in the system, they would be figuring out how to fix the issue, which is them calling nine one one when they get in a crisis situation uh, before they, or you know, fixing the problem before they need to call nine one one and tie up a really expensive resource versus. Um, you know, also taking them to the ER. So I, I, I think there's two problems here and they're just not getting it. Reading the, the comments on the article just makes me laugh. They really, they don't get it. But that Chris, what you're saying that again comes back to uh, knowing what is appropriate quality and levels of care now uh, for the pre-hospital environment. And we'll just, I'll revert back to the 12 lead issue. If they're not doing something that's that and that's proven that it works and it's needed, how do you ever expect that they're going to be proactive in their EMS response and try to prevent calls? I mean, that would just be, I, I think, some of the Chicago fire, I, that, that would kill them. You know, they'd drop over. I, I just don't envision that. I, I, I somehow, I unfortunately, I see Chicago as the next Detroit, the next D.C., the next severely problemed and plagued. Uh, EMS system. What do you mean next? And they, well, they've been a problem for many years, but I don't they think have, that but they're not. They're, they're just not haven't hit the radar it's yet. Completely falling apart quite let, let, yet, like like some of the other ones. But uh, you know, they've they've got a lot of issue, and like you said, the the call volume. I mean, I know that their medics do twenty four on and seventy two off because they're so busy on that one day. And the other thing is, I know like some of them, you know, they and when they're in the busy areas, they leave that firehouse. And they may not return to that firehouse for 18 hours because every time they go back in service and make themselves available, they're picking up another run. Man. You know, so they truly are overworked. Um, but, I mean, it's uh, – yeah, I don't know. And, and the thing that, that, that gets me is their medical director is, is – he's one of the eagles. He's one of the 50 largest services and cities in the country. But somehow he's not listening to what everybody is telling him down – in Dallas once a year on how they're doing things and how they're progressing along. And I don't want to say that's necessarily his fault. I think there's a lot of politics involved in Chicago, and I think the fire department is very set in their ways of this is how we've done it. Sam and Russell, what do you think about this topic? I mean, I I think we all have our opinions. And, Russell, you're a part of a fire department EMS system, and, um, and, and and this isn't even bashing that. It's bashing the fact that we are running needless calls every day, and how do we take those out of the system? I don't. This is not a fire versus anything else. This is a stupidity versus we've got to fix the system. And that at least that's my personal take. Well, I've learned to pretty much discount anything that comes out of Chicago uh, news or otherwise because it usually doesn't seem to make any sense you mean like the gotta, pres- you mean like the president as well um no okay just checking just uh, want to make not, sure I'm there not, i'm not going to go there with that tonight because okay <laughs> you'll get you'll get hate email and so will i i already get hate email it doesn't matter <laughs> but uh no i just kind of started reading this article and just let out a big duh i mean it's like it's like other articles where i've commented as as just a, a duh moment 
uh, we see that we see that kind of thing all the time, but it happens uh, less with us. Uh, we see more diabetics, and a lot of our asthmatics want to go to the hospital. So we see it more with diabetics, but even that's pretty rare. Uh, we somehow manage to convince them to go to the hospital, but uh, we tell them, you know, we kind of advise them that that they should be taking their medications as usual or as they should and a lot of and and with us too it's it's not that we're not trying to get them to go to primary care it's the, it's some of them are some some of the people that we treat on the street are are purely forgetful and, and not necessarily intentionally negligent but you know just <laughs> I'm having a hard time explaining this because it really doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, and I, I think the article also points, it, it says that, you know, we start an IV and then we get an IV start kit from the hospital and then they, then they charge $600 for an IV. Seriously? Why, are, why is the Chicago Fire Department not figuring out that they should be charging for the, the IV and not letting the hospital charge for it? I mean... Gee, that just or, and putting like little hot, like little uh, IV start kits in every hospital that are supplied by the Chicago Fire Department. I mean, an IV costs. Last I checked, we could probably get an IV start kit with the IV and the tubing and everything for about five bucks. Gee, that's something that we should be doing on our end. And, they, and so it sounds like a billing problem. It sounds like a an issue with the hospitals. It sounds like. Uh, a well, duh Chris, issue, and I agree with that. Supposedly, you can't bill just for you can't bill for supplies now. I mean, that well, that's true. Then, of Sup- course, supposedly true. with us, whenever we show up and, and take a refusal, if we if if the paramedic performs an assessment, that's a it, it gets billed either way. ALS assessment is billable under Medicare. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, but the, and something that I, I've seen is that is that we would be. And this has come from our medical director in, in public meetings that when if the law for Medicare changes with uh, with the EMS legislation that's coming out, uh, we'll be we'll have an expanded expanded ability to treat and release, and that's because we'll be able to bill for it. Right now, a lot of the stuff we we purely don't bill, uh, or we. We purely do bill because it's, you know, we we can because we transport. But uh, some of that stuff, when we bill ALS, it's it can't go through insurance. It's kind of one of those things. That probably didn't make any sense at all either. But no, I I no you no, you, you hit it. Yeah, I got it. I got it. I didn't realize that if you do an ALS assessment, even if you don't transport, Medicare will still pay for an assessment amount. Yeah, but and it's I do, really and I kinda, I yeah. do some of the billing. Is that true across the country? Does it vary by state? No, it's true, but it's really hard. I mean, under a Medicare audit, you've got to prove a lot of things, and most of the time, it's it's easier not to bill for That's that probably than what the, you're not doing. Yeah, that. it's and and quite honestly, which is the most unfortunate thing, we're billed to haul people, which is stupid. And we should go back to that. I mean, that's really the argument of this whole thing. And right or wrong, Chicago Fire um, really needs to step up to the plate and go, you know, the real problem is is the way we're reimbursed. It has nothing to do with the fact that we're going out and providing care because they need to go out and provide care. The problem is is they need to provide – They we need to be uh, reimbursed based on our ability to provide that care. And 
none of the insurance companies or Medicare or Medicaid will take us seriously as long as it's you call, we haul, we get paid. And it's kind of a broken system. What about a subscription type of system, which I know some departments do, where it's not you're billing for a specific service, but maybe you pay so much money on your water bill and you're guaranteed, you know, free fire department response. At least there's some reimbursement that way. Uh, we're not doing that locally, but I think some areas are. Well, we we uh, here in Colorado have a tax and your bill. So even here in my local community, we have a tax for the ambulance service. We have a tax for the fire department. So every house is billed according to their assessed valuation on a mill levy. And we get, um, we get reimbursement for that. So it takes care of the system. However, it doesn't take care of the stuff. So what I tell everybody is we're paid to, sit and wait for the call. However, when somebody calls, we have, we use that money that we get from reimbursement to buy stuff like cardiac monitors and ambulances and things like that. So because of the system in the United States is so broken that we can pay for that stuff through reimbursement, but we can't pay for the, we can't pay for the, the, um, the waiting to respond cost. The waiting to respond cost is the most expensive thing in any system. And that's the piece that needs to be funded by some other method, tax, subscription, other means. And it's really one of the hardest things to do, especially in a rural area. But even as governments get tighter and tighter and smaller and smaller because of the economy, that's going to get harder and harder, just like in Chicago, Detroit, and other places, because that mighty tax dollar gets tinier and tinier every basically minute. Yeah. Hey, Chris, the only thing I see wrong with like the, the subscription type of a thing is if you look at, uh, you can look at the air medical industry and you can see how that has, well, it's caused over transport of patients by air. Uh, I, I truly, some of the services that do the subscription thing, uh, if you look through the records, um, they get a, I don't want to call it a worse crash rating, but their safety rating is worse. They've had a lot of safety issues. They've had crashes. They've got a lot of other issues. Uh, I don't really think the subscription idea is going to solve it because somehow with the subscription idea and everything else, these people may still want to go to a hospital. It may not end up just being, well, with part of this and, you know, we'll be able to treat you and release you and, and, and keep you on scene, uh, in your home, in your apartment, in your place of work, whatever it may be, because the public still is not very well educated and understand what truly, needs to be in an emergency department and what truly doesn't need to be in an emergency department. Yeah, but uh, so I think that we're, but we're under this misnomer too, that we're the emergency responders and we should respond to everything and perhaps something And gosh, I hate to say this, but this is ripe for something like a community paramedic model where, you could have a paramedic in a fly car going to somebody's house 
and ensuring that they're not going to call an ambulance today going, Hey, did you, how are you doing on your asthma? Let me help you with your asthma management. Hey, how are you doing on your diabetes? Can, are you, are you eating enough? Do you need some help? Should we call social services to get you some money for food stamp? What, what do you need to ensure that you're eating enough and, and maintaining yourself through your blood sugar? So we're not coming here, you know, five times a week or whatever the case is. And that's part of the, that's, that's the model of having, I guess, patient advocates in the community to go out and really um, fend off the fend off the healthcare need before it happens. And that's really what this whole thing we're doing is about: is is keeping people out of a very costly system, which is the emergency room, the highest cost center of anywhere of any EMS or of any medical system is in the emergency room. And we can't have that. And that's part of the issue. And, and we really got to protect that. And some of the things that we're doing here locally in my EMS system is really working on the model of, of, of care. And we as EMS providers need to step up and say, we're healthcare providers. We recognize that. So in order to protect what we're doing, we're going to actually protect our patients. I think, Chris, though, some people would question, and we've discussed this a little bit before, as to whether that's a really really good role for the fire department, who never really intended to be an AMS anyway. I'm not saying I agree or disagree, but I can see some people having a problem with that. Maybe there should be some other kind of service that I totally agree with community paramedicine. And I think that's where we need to go. It'll save a lot of people, a lot of money and a lot of angst. But do you see that really as a fire department role? If the the model were to change down the road? Well, I think that's the question they need to answer. Not me. I mean, I, again, I don't want to make this a fire versus EMS because I get enough hate mail about that already. Um, people are like, Oh gee, you don't like fire departments. It's like, no, it's, that's not the, that's not the issue. I don't totally like, agree. I don't like any EMS company private, not-for-profit, um, public, fire department entity that doesn't do EMS well and take it seriously. If you put your flag out and say, I'm a paramedic service and I'm going to do this, then you do it well or you get out of the business. Don't be, don't um, make excuses for why you can't do it well or don't make, um, don't make us all look bad in the process. So I could care less. And, and honestly, the problem is, is most of the times the fire departments take the brunt of it because they're the ones that come up in the news very often. And they're the ones that rise to the top. Um, other private entities and other, um, EMS agencies are equally as liable. I will tell you that. However, they don't, they don't pop to the top of the surface as easily as fire departments. So I'm sorry if that looks like our bent, but it's really not. Our bent is we want people to do EMS care well. We want people to do health care well. And what, and that's so, Sam, to answer your question, I think for me, if a fire department wants to do it and they think they can, and I think there are many out there that can do it and recognize that it's good, um, a la San Francisco Fire that got it and they, they used one paramedic captain in their system and took $12 million um, out of the system and saved $12 million in healthcare costs. And with one paramedic captain saved 10,000 calls in the EMS system. That tells me that that's a fire department that gets it. And they understand that the, at the bottom 
uh, dollar at the end of the day that if I can use certain people to help alleviate the need on my system, we're going to utilize them. Now, there were other extenuating circumstances as to why that thing failed, but it wasn't the fire department. The fire department, in yeah. fact, they, you know, I sat there and talked with the deputy chief of uh, of EMS in San Francisco, and he's like, we want this program back. In fact, we're so vehemently want this back that we're going to fight everything we can to get it. And that, to me, tells me a lot that I respect that fire department so much because of what they have said and what they do. So um, I know there's a lot of people out there that think I'm a hater. I'm not. It's about providing good care. And if you do it and you do it well, good on you. I don't care. But it's the people that do it poorly that give us all a bad image. And unfortunately, systems like Kansas City, systems like Detroit, systems like um, Washington, D.C. make it look bad for the majority of the rest of them. And, and I don't, I, and I don't know what to say about that. I, it just, ah, it just pains me a little bit to say that everybody should be doing this. It doesn't matter if, again, if you step up to the plate to say, we're going to do it, then do it well. That's it. I the think you're right. Was, I think it's is, easier for smaller departments. Like I work for a smaller department with, that's in more of a, well, such as it's rural in the East Bay at all in Northern California, but there seems to be a lot more. And I'm sure you have this too, Chris, where when you have a smaller community, there's a lot more synergy with the community. There's a lot more community involvement because these guys tend to, to work and live in the same community, which is not the case for really large departments. And it's not so much the fault of the department. It's just, you know, there's not the buy-in to the community that you'll see elsewhere. So I don't know, you know, you can't really do anything about that. Unfortunately. True. Go ahead. What were you saying, Russell? I, uh, I posted your community paramedics article from the New York Times into our uh, advisory committee webpage, and uh, I started getting hits back about uh, the San, about what you were talking about with San Francisco's uh, homeless program. Right. Uh, we used to have something called the PIER, P-I-E-R program that uh, reduced – that was supposed to target uh, habitual users – Call them habitual and not frequent. Uh, <laughs> like there's any difference? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, like like and I need I need to dial nine one one today. It's habitual. It's I've got to do it. It's a more polite terminology. No, it's not. Habitual means that you have to do it. If you look up the <laughs> term, if you I, I was going to say frequent means that I I uh, you know I may need to do it today. Um, however, habitual means I, I can't go a day without doing it. It's I mean, it's like smoking. That's exactly. Right. That's bad. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Continue, Russell. Then, Sorry. It just cracks program, me up. Our program accomplished the same thing, and then it was cut. That was the first line of budget cuts was that program. Oh, my gosh. That's so wrong. That one guy, that one guy uh, was able, to, was able to, to, to have the same effect that San Francisco did. And my partner, after reading all the comments, and he, he posted back, based on that logic, I think I'll poke my eye out. <laughs> So, you know, oh. with them, with cutting program, with cutting, cutting a program that saves money to save money, that doesn't, he's a, I think I'll poke my eye out. Yeah, that seems about right. It, it seems like what we're doing all, all across the country in there. And Chicago, <laughs> their, their solution is to bill more. Other people's is to, uh, is to simply make less runs by spending a little bit of money to save a lot. 
But who are you going to bill in Chicago? I mean, seriously, think about these the people that you're billing that are calling 911 for their diabetes are probably the people people that can't pay or the Medicaid people where you get like not even 10 cents on the dollar to haul them. So, man, uh, what a twisted what a twisted system we've created for ourselves to to try and work and live in. Oh my gosh. I, you know, I don't have much more to say because I've, I guess I've ranted on it. What else have you guys got to say? Because we need to talk about Steve Jobs and what he's done for EMS. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, good enough. Great. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. So here um, was a tribute posted on Gizmodo about Steve Jobs, and I really appreciate it because it really has a lot to do with his ability and I really think about innovation when I when I hear this. So I'm gonna play this. So give me one second here. Here's to the crazy ones. The misfits. The rebels the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules, and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. Now, the only thing you can't do is ignore them, because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. So, I, gosh, I love that tribute. And I think that... Uh, I think it was put together by some people at Apple, and I, and I think it was actually created right after he resigned. But man, what what a what a message that says today about this gentleman that quite honestly revolutionized the way we live. In fact, somebody posted on my Facebook last night that I wonder how many people found out about his death on something that he created. That's pretty cool. And it's it's amazing. It is. Okay. All right. Don't. Uh, so. Uh, so let me talk about oh, some of the things. <laughs> it don't. Okay. We're not going to be depressed because, <laughs> dear God, the guy produced a lot of great things. And you know, oh. from well, you know. Okay. All right. So the poor guy. He uh, he was kicked out of his own country at thirty, or out of his own company at thirty because he uh, didn't agree with the guy that he hired, and then eventually got hired back because the company that he started bought his company that he started. Anyway, it was really strange. So if you want to know more, look. On YouTube because it'll tell well, you what I story. was impressed with, and I don't think I'd heard them all. You know, when people are present, you don't pay as much attention to them. But all the quotes that people were putting up on Facebook, some of them were just mind-boggling. How his just clarity of thought on things—it was just amazing. Uh, it made me appreciate him a whole lot more. Yeah, here you. Yeah, have- that's what I. There was some stuff that I hadn't heard, and like I told Chris last night, just a few weeks ago, I watched a whole. 
hour-long thing on CNBC Titans on Steve Jobs, you know, how he started and to now and to him stepping down, et cetera. And it had some of the things that he had said, like his uh, speech at Stanford, but there was so much that I saw last night that I've never heard. And a lot of it I can really, I really related to. I mean, I kind of took it to heart because it was very truthful and really meant something to me. But everything he did was not complicated. It was simple and clear and honest, and I think that's what I liked about him. He wasn't full of himself. True, and he always looked at things that we we wanted. I mean, you would you would think that the iPod was like the most. In, it was like, oh, gee, why didn't you know? Why didn't I think of that? It's so easy, and it's so clean in the way his design, his his look and feel about industrial design and the way things were fit and finished, and and just those pieces right there have impacted our daily lives in, in, in more than just using an Apple or using an iPod or using the iPhone or whatever, whatever product of apples you may use it, it resonates in everything. I, you know, I quite honestly think about the life pack 15 when I, when I think about Steve jobs and go, you know, there's some design elements in that cardiac monitor that really harken back to some of the things I've seen in Steve, you know, like rounded corners and, and really smooth edges and, and the way it just works and the way it's easy to use and, and intuitively. And I think that, um, he had a way to, to really think about the way, you know, you know, how people in the market look at a product and want to use it. And then he could translate that into, an ability to say, get this done. And I'm, I, I'm pretty sure from some of the things I've heard about him that he was a very hard man to work for, but you always knew where you stood. You always knew that if, you know, it's his way or the highway, but he knew exactly what he wanted and he knew what it meant to succeed. Well, Chris, the thing, oops, sorry, go ahead, Sam. Okay. I was just on that note, I was thinking, Try to imagine the world without Apple having been in it or Steve Jobs having been in it. What would PCs be like? Would there be anything that resembled an iPad or an iPod or any of the rest of it? He's He stimulated the economy so much. He stimulated the competition with everybody driving any kind of uh, device like that. That would, would any of it be as good as it is today if he hadn't really done that? You know, you got to wonder. Very true. It's, it's true, and like one of the things that I hadn't really thought of, the thing that made him amazing is he knew what we wanted before we knew what we wanted. <laughs> he drove demand. <laughs> I mean, and that was that he created demand for a product that didn't exist. And then you 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 go back. Okay, MP3 players were out there, and he made that a lot better. But uh, you look at, I mean, the iPad. Nothing like that necessarily existed. I mean, you know, there were, uh, you know, you had touchscreen computers, you know, tablet computers and some of that, but that was bigger, bulkier. I, he took something that didn't really even exist, and he says, you guys, you all need this. You'll use this. This will change your lives. Buy it. Thank you. Yeah, and and boom. And it just, I don't know, there's so much. And from a business standpoint or a marketing 
standpoint, the way he did things. I mean, you know, a week before something is released in stores, they do their big, you know, presentation of it. You know, they show the product off. And a week later, there's 10,000 people lining a street waiting to get into an Apple store in Manhattan to buy the iPad or to buy the iPod or, or whatever it might be. I mean, just those sorts of things. If you could take someone like Chris, you take a, well, anywhere, but you get that person in EMS trying to market and explain and educate the public for us on on how things should be. I imagine how different things could be for us in the future if we had a Steve Jobs to help market EMS at a a national and a world level. But it's not even, you know, it's not about marketing EMS. It's about people realizing what, you know, you would think it's like, it's about marketing a PC. Apple's not, Apple's not a PC company. Apple's an innovation company. And if you look at it from that point of view, then you need people in our industry that are talking about innovation. And it's not even about EMS. You need people that are talking about healthcare innovation. You need people that are talking about people innovation. And how do we, how do we as, as people progress in our, in our humanity? How do we move ahead in what we've done and created to do the next thing? And before that, we've got to understand why people tick, and there's a bunch of other things that go in go into that. But really, it's about innovation, and that's if you watch some of um, even Steve Jobs's um, interviews from the mid '90s when he was kind of on his own and things like that. He he wouldn't he would never vilify Apple, and he would never vilify Microsoft. He would always he would always kind of do that fringe thing like. Well, you know, Microsoft's different. You know, I think that they're not really innovators. They copy a lot of what I've done, but they do it well because blah blah blah. And Bill Gates will admit. I mean, they have copied a lot of a lot of uh, Steve Jobs' ideas. I mean, let's look at it. Um, Macintosh had Windows in '84. Windows didn't have Windows until what '89, '90. So. You, you have to think that Steve Jobs really drove innovation and drove an understanding of, of how humans use computers. So if you want somebody in EMS that can be the spokesperson, if you will, for people, you need to have somebody that understands innovation through um, how people work through healthcare and how people exist and how they want to live. And when you get that, then you'll understand EMS. And that's really what this is about. And and I think thinking through Steve Jobs and his life, he really he got it. He was Pixar next, Apple computer, and and a bunch of other things that he did really show that he was just this kind of mossy, creative kind of guy that that was a big thinker and and quite and didn't graduate college, by the way. You just left it open there for somebody to make I was like, comment. really? Is anybody still there? <laughs> I was like, maybe I'm just talking into dead air. <laughs> yeah, we just hung up on you for no reason. <laughs> Great. Nobody liked what I said. No, Wait, crazy. what? I just came back. Did you guys see the video they had up of um, 1984 when he first 
brought out the Macintosh. I'm a man. I didn't realize what the that original Macintosh would do. He just stuck a floppy in this thing, and it talked, and it had Windows, and it had games. And I'm thinking back to 1984. I mean, that had to be an amazing technology back then. Um, I, I had no idea until I saw that little video. And of course, you know, he's a lot younger, but even back then, my God. Hey, I remember going from the Apple II C or whatever it was in school to the Macintosh and being like, holy cow, this is pretty awesome. You know, because, you know, the Apple, the original, the first Apples, I mean, that was nothing spectacular by any means when you think about it now. For its time, it was, but, uh, you know, the Mac really, the first Macintosh really kind of was something. And Oregon Trail. Oh, yeah. Who can forget <laughs> Oregon Trail? What? You've never heard of Oregon Trail? Really? Uh, no. It was this game where you uh, you were supposed to lead your family from, uh, from like, St. Louis or wherever to uh, to Oregon, and you were supposed to follow this follow the Oregon Trail, and it was based on, like, the historical migration west, and they made a game out of it. And uh, it's forever immortalized in the Chuck Norris fact that uh, Chuck Norris, when he plays Oregon Trail, his family doesn't die of cholera or dysentery. They die of uh, roundhouse kicks to the face. <laughs> and, and that, and that uh, he doesn't ever use uh, he doesn't use wagons. He carries the oxen and the axles on his back, and and he always makes it to Oregon before you do. Uh, but I think there have been many renditions of Oregon Trail because I know that like Oregon Trails, I can like when I I remember when I bought it for my son when he was younger. It was like Oregon Trail Ten or whatever. You're like really? It's really that. I've got it on my phone. Oh yeah, oh, I mean, get it now and oh, I mean, what a great graphics game. to it. I mean that was individual pixels that lit up at the same time to look like your little horse and wagon moving down that trail. <laughs> well, I will tell you, the very first game I ever played was on a Tandy. And if you know the brand name of Tandy and you know who made it, I will give you something off my desk. But anyway, so the Tandy, I think it was a Tandy uh, something 58, and I can't remember the Radio Shack. Very good job. Good job. So that Google, Google. Had one. you did. So did. on that, on that game, on that um, thing, you could load up a game called, oh gosh, it was like haunted house or something like that. And it was a, te- it was completely text-based. So you'd have to go walk three steps. <laughs> oh, you've hit a door. What do you do? Try door, door locked, you know, and it would like this whole long sequence. And you know, I remember uh, that. And and I remember all the pieces of paper I had because I was drawing maps of, okay, I went this far and I hit a door. And I mean, I was such a geek, even at like, this was in third grade when I was playing with that thing. And, and then to see when I got into middle school and high school, a Macintosh and there was windows and there was this thing that was alive and you could actually be a part of it. And, um, yeah, you still had to use floppies and all the, you know, five and a quarter inch discs and, or small floppies or whatever. But man, what a revolution that thing was compared to this old thing that, you know, quite honestly, I actually, um, wrote my first, very first computer program on a Texas Instruments, 
Oh gosh, I, I can still remember the way it looked, but it was a it was a little um, keyboard and cartridge system that I had a tape drive for, and I plugged it into my computer, my TV at home, and I wrote lines and lines and lines of code just to get this little um, spaceship that would fly after this little man and shoot him and blow it up. And literally, I think I spent two or three days writing the code, and. It, the thing lasted like 20 seconds and I was like, yeah, woo! you know, I was like so excited when it worked and this little tape deck and, and, you know, you'd play it back over and over again. Cause it was, you know, that's how I, that's how you saved the code to the, to the, um, to the computer at that point. And, and to see what this gentleman did for our industry and for just to smallness. I mean, think about all of the things that he, he's made small. The the Macintosh, the iMac, the um, think about the original iMac. Do you remember those? They were kind of multicolored. There was the orange one and like the teal green one and the and the weird blue one and and they had the big CRT screens. But but it was the first computer that was basically a computer, a keyboard or a, a screen that had the computer self contained into it a keyboard and a mouse. That was it. And a power cord. So simple, so easy. And again, something that a PC never had and, and quite honestly never will. He actually revolutionized the idea of using a mouse. If you think about it, I mean, he was the first, they were the, one of the first companies to put a mouse into, um, into use into computers. They were one of the first companies that made a laptop that you could actually carry around. Chris, what other things do you think he did that influenced EMS? I think data collection in general, certainly. Um, having smaller devices to keep data on. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, th- I think certainly that. But I think that he, uh, just the revolution of, of, of the ability to have data captured in small ways. I know... Um, there's so many data devices on our ambulances now. We have the the road safety black box thing that that yeah. records data all the time. Yeah. You have a laptop in the computer. You have a a or a laptop in the ambulance. Sorry. You also have a um, uh, a 12 lead um, life pack 12 or 15 or Zoll or whatever you're using that uses a lot of technology in the back end of that. And he was really the first person to revolutionize the idea of making it smaller, more compact, light, and easy to use. And, and those things, you know, even IV pumps and just the things that we use every day that I think we take, we take for granted may have been revolution revolutionized by him. What do you guys think? I totally agree. Like I said, what would uh, even the PC market be if he wasn't there to really stimulate their thinking, uh, regardless of what they may have taken and used that, that, that Apple created? I mean, just the fact he really stimulated everybody's thinking to make things, try to make things bigger and better than Apple. Of course, they never could, in my opinion. But And I'm sitting on my brand-new MacBook Pro, by the way. Just thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> Very nice. Did we put him to sleep? Apparently so. What? <laughs> Are you still there? Hello. Hello. <laughs> hey, RJ. <laughs> so, well, yeah, and and to think about um, the things that we use every day that 
people try to emulate. Google, for instance. Google was a search engine when they started, and now they're doing things that are cloud-based. Well, Steve Jobs was the very first person, I think in 87 or 97, I can't remember which, I think it was 87, when he pitched this idea of having a cloud-based computer system where you would boot up a computer and it would be so fast and so easy and so elegant that it would just be in the cloud and you would have all of your data wherever you went. And and here we are uh, many, many years later, and it's finally happening where I can have um, data on many systems around the world or I can keep it on Google Documents or whatever the case may be and, and keep it there. So, well, I think it's, it's important to recognize that, but I, you know, Google has copied a lot of good ideas that, uh, uh, Apple has had right, wrong, or indifferent. They are doing a pretty good job at 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 keeping those things as original as they can. Whereas Microsoft has been very stable. They're definitely a software company. Don't get don't get it wrong. Apple's an innovation company. Google is an internet company, and Microsoft is a software company. Don't ever confuse those with anything yeah. else. I just thought of another one too. How about the ability to do an EKG with an iPhone? That's out there. Yeah, very true. Didn't or we discuss, uh, didn't we discuss defibrillators? Base a an iPhone oh, yeah. based oh, defibrillator. Yeah, yeah. I heard about that. Well, I saw an I, <laughs> I know that there's a. I know there's an iPhone based app where you can actually see your EKG. I know there's that. Um, and there's also the ability for. And here is where I think Steve Jobs has really made a lot of inroads. But along with Google, this idea of having an internet based web where uh, called LifeNet or um, whatever Zoll's competing product is, where you can have a 12 lead EKG that's instantly beamed to the cardiologist, um, yeah. beamed over the internet and through a cell phone. And he can see it with as much clarity on his cell phone as you can see on the computer screen or on the readout of the printout. Now that is truly amazing. And I think that Steve Jobs, whether he wants to, whether there's any credit in him in it for him or not, has really made uh, a lot of impact in in those type of industries of of miniaturizing what we do. Um, there wouldn't be a smartphone without Steve Jobs. Yeah, I mean, think about that. Steve Steve Jobs makes me think of that guy from Tron, he, the guy that Jeff actually, Bridges played. Yes, Archer, you know what's funny is you say that, and uh, last night. I started to watch Tron Legacy again for a little bit on Netflix. Yeah, I uh, I recorded it on my DVR, so. And it really, you say that, and that is very, in that movie, in the the early part where he's given given the speech, uh, you know, it's from the past or whatever. But no, you you hit that right on the button, and I was watching that last night, and I kind of thought to myself, that's very Steve Jobs ish. Can you watch well, there was one. There was also another part in that movie where uh, where his son was explaining to him about technology, you know, in the present day, and he was talking about Wi-Fi, and he said, "Wi-Fi, what's that?" He said, "It's digital interlinking." And he goes, "Between between mobile devices," and he goes, and his son goes, "Yeah." He said, "I thought about that in '84." <laughs> I was like, "Wow, that's that kind of sounds like Steve Jobs." You know, Chris, another thing like. A lot of people don't realize, but 
it became evidently true in larger areas and a lot more people can do it, but is uh, with the advent. I mean, the iPhone was the first to have the apps. You know, we have an app for that. Um, and, of course, the droid market has followed along thanks to that. But is there so many services and agencies who have uh, all of their protocols in that sort of a format to be able to put onto their, their phones and their mobile devices as opposed to the old days when you want to reference something to double-check it and make sure you're okay and you're flipping through pages of a binder or something of that nature or to do quick drug calculations. I mean, I find it especially true either with some of the drips or uh, with pediatric stuff without having to do a lot of the guessing by just being able to punch the rate into or patient weight into whatever, you know, computer, whatever program it is or app you're using and to be able to find out some exact dosages much quicker than yeah. having to do all of that by hand. I did that uh, I did that the other day, actually. We were trying to figure out a pediatric dose for Versed and uh, I didn't have my I didn't have my phone on me which has the uh, the Infomed app on it. And uh, my partner pulls out his, his iPhone coincidentally and has the uh, the proto the link to the protocols on his his main screen, so I just kind of hit that and scrolled down to you know the pediatric protocol for seizures, and I was like, oh hey, so now we can do this med calculation, and it was it worked out very well. It was it was right there when we needed it, and that was the whole point of it. Someday we'll talk about are you guys using internasal for your pediatric patients, but versus the yes, we are very nice, very nice. Okay, so we'll go there someday. Um, well, and we're kind of. I'm surprised you guys didn't say it, so I'm going to say it now because I was leaving. I was leaving it. I was giving you guys kind of a freebie here, but I'll, I was Chris. I was waiting for you to say it. I'll, I'll, the, I'll the give, biggest one of them all. I'll, I'll give it to you here. We're on a podcast, which. Quite honestly, lives in the iTunes store. So without Steve Jobs, we wouldn't have what we're doing today. Right, exactly. I mean, we wouldn't have this ability to exchange ideas and talk about whatever we want to talk about in a radio style format um, on the internet. I mean, there were other things before, but nothing like what he's created for us. We miss the obvious. Or the platform to do it. You know, really this, this idea that Basically, I can post a show in the MP3 format, and really MP3 is really what the important piece of this is, is that even though Steve Jobs was really kind of held to this idea of the radio or the um, music industry for a long time for their um, lockdown of everything, and he really hated that, I know he did, but the idea that MP3 became the standard for by which we send everything over the internet via audio. And he actually created, Apple created video codecs that we use every day within video, um, H.264, QuickTime, um, iMovie, and in fact most, um, most apps today that, that you, that will, um, that will cut into video and make video happen so you can see as a, as a consumer is done in Final Cut Pro or is done in, uh, on some sort of Macintosh. So they really have made the industry of entertainment um, one that is second to none, really, and, and really have set the standard by which we all live by. 
until somebody else comes along and does it differently and we all have to have to change it then. But man, that's years away. In fact, I'm, uh, I'm working with an EPCR, an IPCR program actually is what it's called on an iPad. That's kind of the whole next generation of uh, electronic data collection for EMS. And it's so much more convenient. Chris, something I wanted to say is the fact that for most of my life, I mean, I wasn't super geek like you, and I didn't necessarily believe in in in, in the Mac because for the longest time, um, a lot of software there's it, it didn't have the amount of product to support it that the PC did, um, games, etc. And that has clearly changed now. But I can tell you that when I discovered iTunes, um, and not for buying the music, but just for managing all of my music, hands down, that was one of the greatest inventions ever. And then the iPod and everything to kind of come come after that. But uh, I just wanted to give that little two cents worth there. Well, and that's so true. And bo- both you and Sam are correct. I mean, thinking about the iPad for for doing patient care reports, I think that that will become more and more ubiquitous. And I, you know, I challenged the IPCR guys when I was in uh, Las Vegas at uh, EMS World Expo to say, you know, I said, you know, my my problem because I used to be a data geek for the state of Colorado, and my problem with any I application that that is tied to the iTunes store is that there's an open data end and if you don't fix that you have a HIPAA problem and you have a security problem well they've solved that so you know as soon as they alleviated my fears on that um, I love their problem I love their product that much more and I understood the the way that they were using it and I asked them all the geeky questions that a lot of prof- people probably wouldn't and they're a company that I think are gonna grow and it will probably, quite honestly, get bought up by somebody bigger because they, uh, somebody will say, oh, gee, that's a, that's a market we should be in. Um, there's the Zoll app for iPad um, that is not secure, that is not Nemesis compliant, that won't sync to anything that else that's Zoll. So you have a problem innately right there that, you know, if you create a product that doesn't really link into anything else you have, then why have it? Um, but then there's also iTunes and, and that's how we deliver our media. That's how we, that's, you know, that was my first introduction to a lot of things. In fact, the show you're listening to now was because I used to listen to a show or I still do listen to a show that was delivered to me on iTunes when I was listening from a gentleman called Leo or from Leo Laporte, uh, the twit network Yeah, and twit, man, what a, what an ingenious idea. And he was the guy that kind of created, if you want to know, he was the guy that created our show, but really, um, was about this type of, you know, open-ended format where we bring in a bunch of people and we talk about whatever we want to talk about. And, I, that's really the power of what Steve Jobs has done. And, you know, again, directly did he influence it? No. But indirectly, yes, because he created all of the platforms that we use today. And, and that to me it speaks volumes about how you be an, how you can be an innovator and how you can, um, basically change the world. Yep. Okay, I guess there's no more, <laughs> no more discussion. Wow. I mean, that says it right there. It, right. it just puts it all in perspective. Right on. 
Well, Steve Jobs, um, we you will be missed, and we we will miss you. And thank you for everything you've done. And and we know that uh, Apple will never be the same for sure. And probably the world will never be the same. So that's scary that thought. I know. Isn't that weird? Just like, geez, that's just uh, wow. Um, yeah, because those people are once in a once in a generation kind of people. I mean, even Bill Gates. The, you know, you have to think about some of the innovation, innovations he's had and uh, the basic language. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And another thing, I agree. Uh, Brad Buck <laughs> says I need to insert and no, I think, I think they put, I think they used to put and one more thing or something like that up on that the screen. Remember that when he would do those, he would do those presentations. They haven't done that in years. And I love that because you would always be watching the, the Apple announcement and you'd be like, okay, there's one more thing coming. And you know, there was that one time where Steve jobs actually left the stage and then they put that up and everybody's like the whole crowd's going, ah, there's something coming big. And you just knew it. And one more thing that was, or one more thing. Yeah, it was, oh, it was, it was amazing. Last night watching so much of this stuff and it was cool because when they, repl- when they released the nano and he's having like a 10 minute conversation about the iPad and the pocket and, and he goes, but have any of you ever asked what this little pocket's for? <laughs> I love you know, that one. Oh. And he pulls out the, and it's just like, <laughs> man, this guy was just awesome. The way that he presented that to, to the people. Well, that's the whole thing. He was not just a great creative genius. He was an entertainer. I mean, he knew how to present this to the public, and they loved it. Well, and I think that's, I think with him stepping down as Roland, of course, now with him being dead, I think that's their big concern <laughs> is, wow, you think death is hard to overcome, really? <laughs> <laughs> I think their big concern, I think, Apple is a company, their concern has been, and now it really is, how do they, with the new products coming out, well, like with the release of the iPhone, I mean, you know, that wasn't the same as Steve Jobs putting that out there. You can't follow that act. You can't. You know, yeah, you can't. You can try, so they need to find a, a new niche or kind of stick with some of the way that he's done it, but it unfortunately won't be quite the same. It was his. Nobody can ever emulate that. Does anybody remember Mac OS 9? Seriously? Come on. Oof, man, what a nasty thing. Oh, my gosh. No, uh, I wasn't. Chris, I don't remember any of that kind of That must stuff. have been when I now you it. have neat little interesting names for your I have the Lion. <laughs> OS 10 Lion. Uh, OS 10 Lion. I don't even have Lion yet. Well, the problem is I can't use Lion because... It doesn't interface with my recording software yet, so I have to wait for everybody. So the thing is, is I'm always generally a generation behind the newest because all of the software developers are that far behind Apple. So I just have to wait, and I'm okay with that. It'll come. It's not, and it's really not that much different. I mean, seriously. I mean, ooh, I get the cloud, and I get the the launch pad or the rocket thingy on my whatever. I don't care. I don't yeah. want all that junk. Um, I really just want something that works well, and that's a Macintosh, and that's and that's an Apple, and that's what this is about. It's about the. It's really, if you want to cut to the chase, it's about the user experience, and it's about how we as consumers of whatever we're using interface with the product. Lifeback fifteen, Zoll. 
our EPCR system, whatever the Phillips. case may be. Phillips. Phillips actually makes a monitor still. I thought they were out of business. No, I'm just teasing. Yeah, we uh, yeah we use it. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I wish we used the Phillips. What do you oh, use? Like them. We have Zoll. <laughs> that's the best. That's way like that I can... that's like heresy around Sam, isn't it? Zoll is like no, the greatest. Well, you know, I I very I I like the Zoll company. I like the people. But hey, Sam, I'm with you. I really like the Zoll people. I really do. The Zoll people are great. And there's some things that I don't mind. It just seems that there is... Well, Chris, you said it perfectly when you talked earlier about when they released the EPCR software for the iPad, but it doesn't sync with the regular software. There's all these problems. That just That's one of those little things where I just see that they're not quite with the other guys on on some features and on some things. And I just don't think that their monitor is quite the same as we're the, we're actually uh, we have a uh, we're using our Philips monitor and trans and uh, transmitting to LifeNet stations which are a different manufacturer's product. So Yeah, LifeNet is Medtronic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Or, so, I mean it's related to the Medtronic and the LifePacks, but but uh well, Zoll's job it's security so- for me. I'm, I'm an administrator for their software, so it's all good. We'll just totally bash Sam's product right now. So let's- <laughs> we looked at switching to their to their software, and especially with the iPad thing, until we learned that oh no, they don't communicate with one another, et cetera. And so we I just kind of get for IPC. Kind of clear. I. I you know, when who who makes the best software but guys that hate data collection? Firefighters. You know, they're going to make it simple and non-redundant and, and make it so it works the first time. And it does. That's why I like it. That's why we're working with it right now in a pilot. So, that's it. But you're working with what? The IPCR product. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that uh, Chris was talking about earlier. Gotcha. Yes, yes. Actually, disagree with you a little bit, Sam. I think that firefighters get it to a point. I think that the the biggest issue with any data collection software on the market today is the problem with the narrative. And it forces, it forces you to choose um, in fields that you don't always want to choose. And and it doesn't have to. It doesn't matter what it is. It forces you to choose a choice that maybe is not the most appropriate, and yeah. that's you know it really. Then you uh, click on other. Yeah, but then that's gosh, you can't you can't do data analysis on other. I know. And yeah. man, and that's my that's the biggest pain in my butt. So until there's a system out there that is open source that is really driven for people to kind of take and rip apart, play with, create, and be truly, um, again, it's got to be this kind of idea that that Steve Jobs came up with. It's got to be the idea that it's innovative and you can use it very easily. And I've always said from the, from the very first day I started in data collection, if they can't use the thing at the end of their hand to document then we're going 
grossly the wrong direction. And that is their finger. You don't want to use a stylus. You don't want to use something that they're going to lose. You don't want to use all these other tools that Panasonic or any other company makes you use to touch their screen. If you, and that's where, that's where Mac got it. That's where Steve jobs got it. If you can use your finger to manipulate, um, move, play, change, and you get an experience that you're actually doing something and it makes a difference. You know, you've done something and man, gosh, what a, what a great way to, yeah, well, I don't know the data. Yeah. I don't know that. I don't know that charting is ever fun. An iPad though is a lot much more fun than a laptop. Computer. Very true. Very true. Chris, the thing with the data—that's that's not the software. I mean, that's that's Nemesis. No, 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 no. See, everybody vilifies Nemesis because they have set a standard. Nemesis is there to set a standard for for data. Now, all Nemesis says is that, um, see, again, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm defending this a little bit because I used to be um, the secretary to the National um, Committee for Nemesis. And we, when we set the standard for data, the point of that was is that you could have, you as an agency could have 25, 30, 100, a billion definitions for what was chest pain. Left chest pain, right chest pain. We didn't care. All right, we wanted you at the, the end back of the side, it all has to tie back to chest pain. Which is, for- which is very easy to do by any software manufacturer's um, standard. But you Does know what? Does software but, not allow you to do that? Yeah, but the software manufacturers get lazy and say, well, we've created this one field and you will use this one. Whereas instead of them allowing you to tie many to one, they have said we're one to one and that's all you can use. So you can't, you can't, but you can't say Nimsis is the problem. No, no, no. I wasn't saying Nimsis is the problem at all. I was just saying though that, you know, those guidelines come from Nimsis. See what I ran into when I started to do, uh, you know, when I took over and started to manage our EPCR software is that, you know, let's say under complaint, we had stroke slash CVA. But then because under previous management, they'd allowed things, well, if people wanted to call it 12 other things because that's what they like to call it, well, that was all in there too. Except, you know what, in the end, a TIA is still a stroke or a CA. You know, it still is that same thing. You don't need to call it six different things just to make somebody happy. And what you run into when you start to add too many, if you have 500 complaints listed, if your software will allow that, well, that's that can be a management issue on your end, Chris, when you're trying to look at data on what chief complaints, what was your biggest chief complaint over the last month, week, whatever it is. And then people were not tying that correctly on the backside to the Nemesis component. They were linking that in with something that was not available or something like that, I found. So it took me months to try to fix what what you're kind of describing, I guess you you know, you could say. But I, but I, I guess I, again it, it doesn't should, have to be that hard. It should be more freedom. <laughs> right. And we're allowed I don't have to go to my software company to to change wording on something. No, yeah, yeah, we is, don't either. It's you know, but there's it's, a few components that you can't that I can't mess with. There's a few components in there that they're just. This is how it has to be worded in this little section. But for the most part, I mean, I've tried to link so all of our dispatch complaints tie in exactly with what 
dispatch's software pops up for that complaint so we don't have different wording. Therefore, when we see our timesheet from dispatch, the wording at the top will match exactly what's in our software. So are you using ProQA on your dispatch side? Uh, no, I don't even want to start to talk about my Well, that's another side. subject. Sorry, well, I'm getting sneaky here, that's too. That's a bad subject. Very bad subject. <laughs> yeah, well, I would, yeah, that, that's, that's a show in and of itself. But um, if, you could, if you could imagine the absolute opposite end of that spectrum, that's what we are with <laughs> our dispatch. Yes. Okay, well, you know, we are running out of time. And we could talk oh, about. We're we could, starting a whole second show. Here. I know we were. We were really starting another second show here. Uh, and another thing. <laughs> um, no, seriously, that was the other thing. That was that good. was awesome. That thank was you. good. You're welcome. Uh, so thank you guys very much for um, coming on tonight, listening to us rant about many things, and wanting to be a part of what was truly. A most memorable um, time in our in the history of technology, and I, I I look at us as the kind of the meet, the merging of EMS and technology, and and we as EMS have to learn from the technology industry that we need to be nimble, we need to be um, we need to be willing to move and change with the with the needs and the consumers. But yet, at the same time, we also have to have a base of what we're about. And all of those things have never hold true more for me than looking at how technology's changed over over the past many, many years that I've been alive. And we're I think we need to liken ourselves in EMS to that industry because it changes daily, and so does EMS. So, Miss Sam Bradley, where can people find you? Wow, nicely said, Chris. Um I hang around firstrespondersnetwork.tv. You can find me over there. I'm actually uh, trying to get a blog up and running, which is disasterssam.firstrespondersnetwork.tv. So that's Sam's pretty much where you find me. Uh, well, there have been moments, yeah. That's me. Yeah, I don't know if that's a great thing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Seth came up with that. It wasn't my idea. You can blame him for that. I know that can be interpreted in any number of ways. So, yeah. You don't it sounds know. like it would be an entertaining read from just the, uh, the title. There you go. I agree. It's a blog. It's all good. Think what you like. Right on. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, um, Ted Setla and Chris Eldridge did this really amazing thing. So if you want to go to First Responders Network um, and just Google, I don't rem- I don't exactly know their URL, unfortunately. But uh, it's firstrespondersnetwork.tv. There you go. Go Without to their, go to that URL and and look at the interview they did with Tim Phelan. Absolutely oh, yeah. one of the prettiest, most amazing interviews I've seen out of any buddy that's doing anything in EMS. He's awesome. And, oh he my gosh. Freeze. He could turn poop into gold, man. I mean, sometimes, <laughs> seriously, that guy, I mean, you just look at that and you go, oh, this is what Ted is good at. And that nailed it. I mean, yeah. I I watched it. I, I think I watched it three or four times. And I was, every time I was just, it, it dropped my jaw because a, a, Tim Phelan's just one of those amazing people to listen to and watch. And then B, to have that perspective in a camera and the prettiness of it and and just the way that it was put together was absolutely it was really well done and you can tell it was done in the Hilton Hotel probably yeah. you know between sessions or something but 
Man. Well, they were it was worried awesome. about the ambient noise, too, and they were surprised it did turn out so well, so they were happy with it. It came out great. You guys did a great job with that. So go over there, watch their stuff, watch some of the uh, or seat at the table, and I know you guys are doing some other things with oh, we hopefully things. Chronicles uh, or Beyond uh, those Lights. And magazine. I'll throw that out there. Scott Keir is uh, heading that project. So when is, When is it out? When is it out? We the first one's out. We uh, had that out, that one out in time for Expo, and we're working on the next issue right now. So it's up there. Nice. Check well, it out. I'd love to know what you guys think. Cool. Right on. Well, send me the link, and I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Sam. Mr. Russell Stein, where can people find you? I am hybridmedic.com and at hybridmedic on Twitter and uh, the firesciencesblog.blogspot.com. That is, those are my hangouts. And everywhere when else. I'm not the, when I'm not in the hospital. Oh, jeez. <laughs> How are you? Uh, we'll talk about it later. I don't want, I don't want you to talk about it on the air. Uh, Mr. Brad Buck, where can people find you? You can find me on the EMS Standing Orders website. You can find us, of course, on iTunes. Thank you. And, uh, you can find me on Facebook and you can find, uh, our show and podcast and information on Facebook, Twitter, etc. Very nice. Well, and did you uh, post our show from last week? Uh, Matt is, uh, he had been sick. He did yank it out of the Dropbox, I believe, that same day you put it in, uh, or maybe the next day, and he is, uh, I have not seen where it's been posted yet, though. Cool. But uh, I know he usually is probably adding our stuff to the front of it, maybe, and, and whatever else. Very nice. I need to teach him how to create templates. And do it very easily. It takes me now. I've I've worked it down to a science. I can post a podcast in under probably about ten minutes, minus the minus the actual uploading, which always takes the longest. So, do you do a lot of editing or no? Nope, nope. Why Why would you edit? Seriously, I don't know. <laughs> you haven't said any bad words. He's, because he's he's like that. <laughs> you know, editing makes it sound unnatural. I found after years, and you know what? People actually like the weirdness of the. Of the like, unless there's weird nuance in it or something like that, leave it all in. Just just let it go. And um, I've never they had like all the they like all the awkward silences. <laughs> <laughs> and, and every oh, once in a while, oh, well, but see when you when you look at a waveform of an audio file, you can actually see. And if there's an obvious yeah. pause in it, you go in and take it out. But otherwise, leave it in. If it's not very obvious and it's not more than a second or two, leave it in. Because you can sit there imagining us all trying to think of something. Okay, who's going to say something? <laughs> or there, or or have you ever have you ever done this where you're like yelling at the? I mean, we don't need to be like radio where they're always filling every second with somebody saying something, you know. And they always they're very good at that. But you have to also remember too, radio's on a forty second delay, so they are they're constantly working yeah. on what the next thing is. So they even though there's not there's there's some pauses in there, so. And those guys have been doing it for years. But but for us, I think that it's also good for people to go, you know, kind of be in their car or whatever they're or working out or whatever and go, man, I, I really want to say something right there. It's like so obvious to me. And uh, that that's kind of the fun part of the show. So, well, thank you guys for listening.
listening this week. Thank you for being a part of our really, really, really long episode. And I appreciate it. And we will, uh, hopefully Scott Keir will be joining us next week and doing the hosting next week. I'm in Houston, Texas. Maybe I'll do a tweet up on Thursday night. If, uh, you're so inclined and in the Houston area and want to hang out with me, I'll, uh, I'll post it out on Twitter. Maybe sometime this week, I'll try and find a place where I'm staying. I don't even know where we're at right now. I know I'm in some Hilton somewhere. And thank you guys so much for being a part of our show and just wanting to listen to a bunch of people sit around and talk about EMS, which is sometimes just about nothing. Join us next week when we talk more about issues that concern you in EMS. Have a great night.